Hey friends, before we get going, I wanted to ask you a favor. If you would, please, and if you haven't already, head over to iTunes, find the new activist, and rate the show and give us a nice review. It helps people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, this is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of the war against injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today. Our guest on the show today is Dave Linton. Dave is the founder of an incredible company called Mad Lug Bags. And I first heard about Dave from a colleague of mine at IJM, actually IJM in the UK office. What's up, UK? Her name is Chloe Fulton. And she emailed me and said, hey, have you heard about Dave and heard about his cool company and what they're doing? And I looked it up and I kind of freaked out because I I like him. I'm a bag person. I really enjoy good bags. I carry around a Parker Clay Parker briefcase. It's just the, <laughs> it's the best. I love a good bag. And these Mad Lug bags are just beautiful. They make these great backpacks. I want to get one for my kids the next time they start school. They're just these beautiful, cool backpacks and they have great luggage and accessories. But then I heard the story of the bag. And to be honest, I was crushed. It is just so beautiful. And I don't want to give it away because Dave is about to explain everything. But the slogan of Madlug is helping children in care carry their lives with dignity. And what they are doing with this very cool brand is both inspiring and just really practical for us today as we figure out what it means to go and be the new activist. So here is the lovely and Irish Dave Linton. Dave Linton, we'll get to we'll get to Mad Lug, but I'm curious about you and a little bit and a little bit of your story. And we don't have to like go through beat by beat of every grade and your you know deepest darkest yeah. saddest times in your life. But what was what was life like for you growing up? Um, for me, growing up, it was um, just a standard um, family. But um, my my father passed away. My dad died when I was five, and so I was brought up with my mom and my mm. sister. And, um, and I think for me, that, that was um, where I learned what it was to have significant people around my life to support and to care and to help my mom um, kind of raise us. What, did you have any siblings? I had a sister, a younger sister, who was a couple of years younger. So do you have, uh, sorry if this is too personal and no, punt it away if you want to, but do you have any memories of your dad? Um, absolutely none. Um, mm. It was all I remember, if I'm being honest, is the... The time when he was, um, he actually took a heart attack and was put in an ambulance. And the only memories I have is sitting outside the hospital while we weren't as children allowed in the hospital in, in that time. And um, and so that was the last time I have a memory is when he he took his heart attack and then three or four days later passed away. What a terrible memory of someone so pivotal to to your life and and that I mean I have to imagine and you started to share about it a bit, but growing up. And sorry, we're just diving into the deep end here in our first two minutes of conversation. But, but I mean, what like growing up, you didn't really know him, so I'm guessing there wasn't the feeling of like I'm not playing catch with my dad. But was there what kind of loss do you feel when you don't know the person? Um, For me, it was one of the biggest. It was a it was a huge loss, and and there was that space of um, where you 
you don't want to speak too much about it because you respect your mum and she's doing an amazing, incredible job at, at, at bringing the family. My mum at that stage didn't even drive. Um, there was no health insurance or um, that, that played in. Um, there was a whole lot. It was quite um, tough for her. She had to go and learn how to drive. It was the days when mum stayed at home and dads were out working. So she ended up having to go and clean houses to just survive financially. And, um, and then our neighbours, the people who live beside us, kind of got around us and supported us and a close family. And, and it was one of my uncles that actually we called him Daddy, Daddy John as a, as a result of taking a, more of a male role. But I really missed, I think, growing up, um, the, the biggest loss was not being able to go and play sports, um, to have somebody to go and play tennis with, do those kind of things, um, and then not being able really to talk about it. What, what kind of kid were you? Were you an entrepreneurial kind of kid? Were you scrappy? Were you the kind of, like, what, what, what does that do to a kid to have that kind of, uh, to that kind of void? I think for me, I didn't. I didn't respond to that as a, a, a rebellious um, kid. I I was quite compliant, um, but I was quite private as well. And um, but also um, private with my really deep emotions and um, and and lonely at times. But um, and I kind of got involved in my church at that time. So I kind of made that home, my, my friends and, and life around church. Um, and, um, and it really played out in school where um, I wasn't entrepreneurial. I, I probably look back now and I was, but um, I, I actually suffer um, from dyslexia. And at the time when I was growing school, I had this loss. And I was also in many ways classed as being thick or, or stupid in school because I, I couldn't... Um, I, I wasn't able to do the exams the way the others were, or wasn't able to read as fast as other people were. And um, and looking back, I was quite entrepreneurial then in finding solutions, and um, sometimes got into trouble for those solutions. Um, <laughs> but but um, I think looking back, it was just the start of being creative and and, and finding solutions to problems. Mm. Um, so that's kind of how I played, and and so I was quite compliant. Um, and probably never dealt with the loss of my dad until I was in, just before I got married, I decided I'd go and get some counseling and, and, and talk it through. And, um, so I could oh, be, so I could be a husband to my wife. And also my d- biggest dream was I wanted to be the dad to, to kids that I never had. So that was a, an ambition that grew out of my childhood as well. What did you think? kind of as you're going through school, what did you think vocationally your life was going to, uh, to be? What were your, what were your plans for your life? Um, so my plans were, it wasn't very good at school, but I had this ability to be able to, to talk. So I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a, a salesperson because I, I, I didn't really sell stuff and, and I was not really good at making money, um, as a young person, but I was, um, very creative and, and, and actually, um, um, and actually I was able to talk um, and in those stages you didn't have to have super qualifications to get into an interview situation so I left school with an ambition to be an architect but my qualification level allowed me to be a technician and yeah. um, I went in and started training um, in that area for for a couple of years and then a, a recession hit and um, the company I was working with cut some of our training jobs I lost my job and ended up going into youth work um, at that stage um, in a local church. And that's where I was until I started Madlug. 
were you happy with that job? Were you were you itching to do something entrepreneurial, or were you did you feel like you were pretty well set for that stage in your life? Um, I've always been the the person who wants to make things better or to fix problems. So when I've looked at going into jobs, into roles in churches, it's either been into roles where youth ministry hasn't been that great, and there's an opportunity to grow something or to start something, um, or it's it needed fixed and going in and helping um, fix it. So for me, what I find is my, my youth ministry career was um, five years, first three years, brilliant. The last two years, plateau, because I was a little bit bored and, and getting there quickly, and then moved on to the moved on to the next thing and um, and find the next place, did the same. And, um, and I have to say, I love young people for me, um, I still love going into a youth center um, uh, with a group of young people and just hanging out with them and chatting to them. Why, why do you think that is? Because a lot of people don't, and it doesn't make them bad people, but that's not a, what, what is it that you think resonates with you for serving people that are, and caring for, just having a heart, I guess, would be the way to say it, for people that are young? Yeah, I think in growing up with having no dad, if I'm being honest, in the, in the church, yeah. um, sometimes it was quite lonely. So I had a lot of my friends that I, I hung about with and their parents would have, you know, stood up for them and maybe spoke to somebody and says, can we have or can we do? And I sometimes felt quite alone and um, and kind of maybe the ones that maybe sometimes would have maybe been picked on for the, the noisy kid at times because I didn't have dad that could have told somebody off for saying that to me and um, our parents in the church that could do that. So um so I think part of that starts, and then um, I, I've just had something deep inside me. I, I really can't define it as as just for the underdog. And and in the, in the church, I've always felt that young people have so much potential, but often put to the side. And so I, that's kind of where where it's been. And I, so I still today believe um, that that young people. Uh, have so much to offer. I believe in them. Sometimes they really frustrate me, um, but but actually, it's it's. I believe that 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 they are treasures in our in our world, and and we need to invest in them and to grow them, and to release the potential in them, and to give them opportunities, and not wait until they're older to get those opportunities. That is beautiful. I, I it makes sense when you hear the narrative of your story that. You know, I always wonder, like, what makes a, a Dave Linton? What makes an entrepreneur? What makes somebody who's going to come up with the Mad Lug idea? And I wasn't expecting to hear such a clear thread of just knowing loneliness, just really knowing profound loneliness, both with your dad and even as a part of the church, just um, why that would end up percolating into what would become Mad Lug. So let's let's get to Mad Lug. What was the first inkling you had of starting of starting this business? Yeah. So whenever I, I met my wife, um, before we were married, she, she was doing respite foster care and um, taking a young person once, um, once a month for a weekend. And, um, and it was part of our kind of conversation. I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be a, a, a person who would open our home and look out for um, children in care. I always looked at the option of adoption as a I had no issue with that and, and we as a as a couple before we got married discussed that that we would love to do that and um and so when we got married um i went through a process we became respite foster carers together 
we had a, a young girl come to our house. Um, in fact, she still comes to our house and she's in her 20s um, regularly. And um, we we started that process. And then we we were at that place where starting a family and um, we felt that um, adoption was quite, uh, was the right route for us. Um, and we went through that. So we adopted our, our um, oldest daughter um, through um, adoption and um, and that was just um, just that's just been brilliant and and then we uh, we, we had moved in my last job I'd moved from Belfast the city a city church context to a, a church in a more rural context and they um, they offered me a house a home to enable me to live in the community of where the church was. And the home was bigger than we could actually afford. Right. So there was an extra room and I said to my wife, um, let's let's maybe try and do um, some fostering again. But unfortunately, what had happened was moving out of the city, we moved into a new local authority and we had to go back to the ferry start to get approved to be foster carers again. And it was in that moment, um, it was a four-week course, week four, we actually came to the place of the talking about children moving from A to B within the care system and also into the care system. And um, they put a little video on of a girl in a wheelchair and she said her story, she told her story that whenever we move, the trust don't give suitcases, sometimes foster carers will loan them suitcases, but quite often their belongings were removed in black plastic bin bags and oh, lose yeah. their dignity. And and I remember hearing that and thinking, I'm going to fix that. It was a deep, deep moment of just, it was like something right in my heart and says, I've got to fix that. But I never ever thought that I would start an organization like Madlog. I simply thought I'm going back to the young people that I lead and I'm going to collect all their old bags because I know I have old suitcases in, in, right. in my house and I'll collect those, we'll fill them and we'll get them to the, the local authorities and help these kids have proper bags. But as I started processing that, I started to, to think, well, these, these young people have huge value and huge worth. The fact that they breathe, they have huge value and worth wow. and they have the right to be treated with dignity and the right to have the, their own new bag. And so that led me in this whole process then, how do I get a brand new bag to these ch children? And then I started to research and started to find that there are 90,000 children in care across the UK and Ireland. There is one child that moves into the care system every 15 minutes. And many of them and most of them are carrying their belongings in either um, flimsy plastic bags or trash bags. And so I start to think, well, this is a bigger problem than just my local area. And it's potentially global. And so how do I get new bags to my own area? But then how can we do this beyond um, our local area to a potential global um, need? And initially it was, do I set up a non-prof? where I would raise money and get donations and, and, and have that model. But in youth work, I hated that fundraising model. I really struggled with it. And um, it just was, wasn't a good fit for me. 
and also running marathons and doing all that fundraising stuff i've never been in shape to do that so i i've i've <laughs> kind of um thought well that's not a good idea and then at a willow creek um leadership summit um a number of years ago i was at the watching it on a screen basically um yeah. i heard blake from tom's shoes basically be yes. interviewed and at like that yeah, launched a, an idea of using business to make a difference, and I bought his book after that. And and so I'd read the book, and and had been kind of a fan of Tom's, even though I'd never worn a pair or bought a pair because I've never had the feet for Tom's. Um, <laughs> but but I've um, I, I just loved the idea of his business model. And so whenever I was faced with this, how do I get brand new bags to kids? It was could I use the Tom's shoe model, bag for bag to enable us to fund the giving of bags to kids. And it was as simple as that. Um, but the context of, of Northern Ireland here is we have, we have never really created brands that we export. We are an importer. We, we import American brands, European brands, and, um, and we wear. And actually, we're a nation that loves brands. We love mm -hmm. to wear that on our, on our clothes. But we actually don't care if they're last season. So we like a good, a good, a good price for our brands. We're not really right. the paying the, the top top price for it. So everything was kind of countercultural in you don't do this here. But yet I love this idea. Could I do that? Um, and I had no experience in bags. I literally just had a desire to fix a problem. There's a lot in what you just said. And I gotta tell you, my exposure to Madlug was actually just from a brand perspective, I just saw these cool backpacks that I saw folks wearing and was like, oh my gosh, I got to get one of these backpacks or one of the gym bags or something, you know, and then you dig in and read the story. So I'm curious, like that was a choice to have a, a brand like that because there are a lot of different ways you could have approached this problem, right? You could have, as you said, raised a bunch of money, bought a bunch of bags. You could have done endless, really? you know, suitcase drives and collected tens of thousands of bags people would have been, but but you decided to create a really cool brand. Can you dig into that a little bit more, what the decision was to, to go that route, to create something that the consumer really wanted to purchase, really wanted to have on them because it's just the perfect colors, the perfect logo, the perfect cut of everything. What 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 is, Yeah. Take me inside the decision to do that. You could have done this a lot of different ways. Yeah, so... So it was simple as if I was going to do a bag and it was luggage um, of, of, it had to be good. It had to be um, what people needed. And so rather than doing a huge amount of research, I just looked around and actually saw that um, backpacks are becoming more and more used. And, and when I went for it, I thought rather than being innovative in design, I thought let's stay classic and design what was already out there what was what was the kind of the trends in all of the brands and and let's get innovative with the story and at that time i i had 500 pounds um i don't know what that is in dollars but it's not a lot <laughs> and um a new investment and and literally it was, it was how do i make this business work with that 500 pounds and, and it was a matter of, I couldn't afford to go and get too many patterns and take the risks of patterns on bags because they, um, you know, it's so subjective. It's people like some and people don't like others. So I, I went intensely for just plain colors because I could get plain colored bags. 
and 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 actually as a youth worker i've been you know i'd be on that kind of creative space where with no resource no funding you end up kind of creating videos and, and logos yeah. and stuff like that so i was in this place of i can do all that and and so i went ahead and created um logos but the mad log came from Google and saying, how do I start a brand? How do you create a name for a brand? And and what they said was, um, you either create a brand new word, <laughs> or you you basically put in a domain name of you know we we give bags to kids. And so I'm I'm kind of like right. So um, what is out there with a domain? And I was literally went on to the place to buy a domain, and I sat and spent a, a couple of hours typing in different things that we could sound like a word that I could get a .com address. And, um, and, and also it, what was part of it was how can that, that had to be able to tell the story through either an acronym or just something that made it very clear. And so I started typing in log mad and all this kind of stuff and, and yeah. make a difference and log eight. And I knew that whenever that I got that, I started thinking, Actually, that allows me to. If somebody says, "What is Madlog?" It's make a difference luggage, huh? And and <laughs> and you lug your you lug your bag <laughs> you lug your bag around. So in Northern Ireland, we use that term of lug your bag. So luggage and lug, and it had just so many plays. And then when I went on to, to find the .com address, the only um, address that had gone was the .org, and it was a group of a little community group of. Um, uh, just techs that were supporting each other around Unix. And I knew that actually if with no money and um, for marketing or any of that, that I could get them onto about page five of the Google search engines without spending <laughs> any money. And and so I literally I literally um, registered the, the names and then I had the logos to sign myself and I, everybody was going, yes, they're great, Dave, brilliant, maybe make a wee alteration there. But actually what happened was I went to a, a young guy who had just graduated from design college <laughs> and, and he then went on to get a job with Jack Wills. But he, um, I said to him in this coffee shop, um, I've got this cool idea, this bag company, it's called this. What do you think of logo? And his words to me was, Dave, I would never buy a bag with that on it. Really? And, and, and I went, oh, and I felt painful at the time. And, and, and part of it was that this techie or this um, design world where every designer wants to have, you know, sees their thing as better. So there's a, yeah. there's a little bit of that going on. But, but it was the moment of the pain of that, I don't like it. And hmm. I, I then went back to all the leadership stuff I had learned through doing youth work and started to feel, well, if I'm going to feel the pain of that with something as simple as a logo, I'm never going to grow this business. No, that's right. Because so I, the, the hits are going to get a lot harder yeah. as you get deeper into the and entrepreneurial. The, and every decision is a cost. And so I, so at that stage, I made a decision then with the 500 pounds that I had, not to buy stock, but basically to pay the 40% down on the design company and to go and get a, a design company to design the logo. And um, and they paid, I paid the 40%. That was all the money I had. I didn't have enough to complete the bill. And uh, then I was getting some mentoring by local business advice people. And they 
they at the end of it, I showed them the work that the design company had come up with, and they looked at and says, they've spent a huge amount of time with you. And I have some mentoring sessions that you haven't used because as an entrepreneur, you've ran on ahead. And so if you get these guys to invoice me and put it down as mentoring sessions, we'll pay the rest of that bill. <laughs> and so I, I literally had the rest of the bill paid. It allowed me to get business cards, pull up banners. And, and then we, we only had one sample of every color at that stage, six bags. Yeah. And we went live on Facebook and asked people to um, be patient with us. And it might take three weeks. And then we kept reordering and reinvesting and ordering and reinvesting. And, uh, and that was the, the, the journey. We couldn't take, I, I personally couldn't take the risk because I was in my 40s yeah. of crowdfunding because yeah. the reality was if the crowd had, if I hadn't have got the target, people around me who knew Dave had never done business before, yes, that they would have said, Dave, this isn't going to work. Go back to your day job. And, and that's kind of how it is. And so we then kept reinvesting the money and reinvesting the money that we were making. And a year into that, we then got, um, I got notification from a, a journalist in The Guardian in London saying that you have been listed as a new radical, one of, oh. fif one of 15 new radicals in the UK for um, social innovation and impact. Oh my gosh. Um, well, we're going to, we're going to get into the viral moment in a second, but I, I want to, I just want to like pause for a moment and rewind because even with the first bag, like you're giving away, you're selling a bag to the consumer or the customer rather, yeah. and you're giving a bag to uh, someone who is in foster care. Can I ask, are the bags the same? That's, that's a really good question, Eddie. Um, in that whenever we, we started this, it was to do one problem was to fix the bin bag issue rather yeah. than just often i think when we do good and have businesses for good often it's about giving ourselves pats on the back that we get the feeling of it and we don't really think about the end receiver of it so i sat down with young people in the care system foster care kids who who were at the older end of that and they said to them when is black bin bags or trash bags used and what kind of bag do you need and what what would be the right kind of bag to have here? And so they they give us some input. They said that that stage Madlog wasn't a brand that people would have known. And so they said we don't want a, a brand on a bag because we don't want to be stigmatized. Oh, they oh I see. The, then if they're carrying around the Madlog Madlog bag, they would have been stigmatized. And at that stage, it was, it's probably oh. less now because Madlog is a bit better known brand. Yes, and amongst the kids here. But they also said that it was bin bags and trash bags were used when social workers arrived um, to collect the kid and the stuff was in bin bags. Um, and, and at that stage, the social workers weren't prepared. So because most of the local authorities in the UK have, a, have said that bin bags and trash bags shouldn't be used, but they are still being used. And it's because of prep being prepared to follow through on these policies that they have. So they, they said that when a breakdown or when a child is leaving. And so they said that it's got to be small enough to fit in, in the boot of a social worker's car. So a, a social worker can be prepared to have a yes. number of these so that the, if they see a bin bag, they can take stuff out of the bin bag. Or they, if there's no bag, they can give a child a bag to put yeah. their stuff in, not to have it filled with stuff but to put the stuff that they're, they're moving into it. And so that was our mission. And so as, as a result of that, 
we um, they also wanted the word value worth dignity on it. Uh, and that we use that that's our kind of um, core values internally and externally this value people of value and worth and dignity and that's how we treat them and they wanted that on the bag so we we designed this pack away bag that folds into a little pocket and when it's folded up it has you are incredible value worth dignity <laughs> mad look and when it oh opens up it opens up into a 35 liter bag so it's 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 not superly big, um, and it works for a gym bag during the week. It works for going to the swimming pool. It works for over uh, an overnight. It does a, a number of things. But our thing is that if if a child has less, we don't want to reinforce it by giving them a huge big bag. And so we'd rather give somebody that has lots two bags. And and so we've 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 kind of created the bag to be that. So every bag we sell, we give one of our pack away bags to a child in care, and they get that through the local authorities. The foster carers have requested those from us, and also young people can come direct to us, and we'll send out a little bag with a little note on it, telling them how incredible they are. Oh my gosh! How how many how many of these have you? given away at this point i know that might be an industry secret because that would be telling us your sales but i mean how many we've in our first three years now this is this is on the basis of what we started with new investment still you know still to today we have had new investment um we have just kind of reinvested built the business up um from the grassroots up and in our first three years we've given three thousand bags to kids wow and, and dave that that I mean that's to me I that sounds small, but actually when you start thinking about how many that is a day and how many children that is that don't, um, that's 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 huge. However, since um, April of this year, and this is a combination of sales and also people now um, gift the bag. So customers who have bought a bag come back and they'll gift a second and third and fourth bag. So it's like a donation oh. approach. Yeah, they we are now in a place where we've ten thousand bags just from April, and the funds are in place, and we've now had to go and find a whole new supply chain to get these giving bags at larger quantities, so we can can deal with that. So the reality is, we can actually um, we can actually take every child in the care system in Northern Ireland, of which there's three thousand, and we can actually alleviate bin bags this year from from every child oh, in one wow. country so that's the result plus then take the, the six seven thousand bags left into the mainland uk and start to make those kind of strategic um, moves there as well dave congratulations i mean that is a really incredible fr from an idea that you just kind of from a training video for being a foster parent to not that long not that much time later they, they, like, there is a real possibility that very soon there will be no more bin bags in Ireland, right? Well, I mean, in, if we if we looked at the what we have and right across the whole of Ireland, so there's six thousand young people in the, in the south of Ireland, Republic of Ireland. There is three thousand kids. We could actually alleviate the problem right across that whole the whole island for one year, and. We are, are we have a current strategy in place where we have um, we are trying to now engage five hundred schools across the UK and Ireland to fundraise one pound per pupil, and with that, without a seal, 
we will be in a place to give 25,000 bags to kids in care every year. So we're trying to, we're trying that model because it empowers 250,000 kids potentially as stakeholders into the story of telling these kids that they're incredible. And it allows those one every 15 minutes, which equates to about 25 to 30,000 kids per year entering the care system. It means that every um, year we could deal with that without even selling a bag and then go on to meet the needs of the many other kids um, who are in care. Wow. And, and what that means, presumably on the flip side of this, is that the the backpack business, like the the one, you know, like is doing very well. Um, and you actually had a viral, I mean, your, your bags went viral. Can you tell me about just how, how you heard about that viral moment and also how you and your team responded? Because it's one thing to be prepared and to look at sales trends. It's another thing to have those trends completely obliterated and have to scramble. I'm curious, t- take me inside yeah. that. I, I think, I mean, one, one of the things I'm learning is, and it's maybe my dyslexia a little bit, is that I, I see problems sometimes as opportunities. In fact, nearly every time. And back in back in June, we had, a year ago, we had brought all our manufacturing of our bags to to Belfast, we were we had a charity that was um, had years and years of manufacturing experience um, with people with disabilities, and we we brought them it, it we brought the work to them to to have made. But we hit capacity quicker than we ever envisaged, and so in June past we we got that place where there was a delay, and we were hindering into the summer, and we just couldn't get our bags until the end of the summer. And so we were faced with this problem and it could have been real head in the sand stuff. And as a result of that, I kind of said to the guys on our team, look, this is an opportunity. Let's get a solution quickly. And we actually went back to the same model, the same products that we actually started the business on. And it involved a lot more work for us and a lot more stress for us and time. But but actually, it was a way of actually meeting the demand for just an increased demand in the summer. So that was our summer, and we had our best month in July. And we were kind of, we got to that business point where it was like, yeah, we've hit that target. We need to get, now we need to do that every month yeah. so we can, we can grow this business. And, and I said to the, my colleague, I said, look, we're going to celebrate this, but we're too busy to celebrate it. Uh, we'll, we'll wait until September and everything's over and we'll, we'll, we'll really celebrate this, this hit. So that was, that was fine. We then entered into August and we were on target to do that same, same point again. And my colleague went off to a youth festival in England with half of our stock wow. and to, to sell. Because we've used a very lean business model. Um, we've, we've pay a little bit more for the bags, but we, we don't carry as much stock of the bags. That's kind of the way we, we, we minimize the risk. And so we've, we, we'd sent half the stuff over. He was on route. It was a Friday night. He was on route, um, down driving in a, a fan down through, through England. And I cleared up all our orders for the day and stayed behind because I needed to fulfill and make sure everybody got their orders that they had made. So I was, I'd, I had literally gone to a little um, reception in Belfast. I was invited to having it cleared, being really chilled and relaxed on a train home. And I'm sitting looking at my my phone and Instagram, and I saw this post from a influencer in England 
who basically said, I moved care in care three times and all times when I've been bags and came across this, this amazing organization. And our, my kids' bags just arrived today. And she had a picture oh. of her kids wearing five of these um, kids wearing mad lug bags on this oh post. Oh my gosh. So I, I contacts my colleague and says, hey, that's a really affirming post. Wow. Within two minutes of putting the phone down to him, it just went mad. And so in that weekend, we moved from being a business that was just, you know, just continually growing at a small rate to we had over 200,000 people visit our website. No way. And, um, and we sold out in 10 hours. And, and, and it was left with, so when we had this whole thing of calling friends and families and um, <laughs> anybody that would, you know, could help us out, they, uh, it was my youth work mode going back into place because it was a matter of these people arriving like they used to do with um, kids. Right. And, and the, the people who didn't turn up the, to the training would still arrive and expect you to give them a job. So I was like, all these people <laughs> arriving and I'm going, right, do this, do this, do this. And right. I, I, was, I was in full, full youth workflow <laughs> trying to get the organization all this. And, um, and so we had this thing of getting all this stock out. We, at this stage, we're still relatively small. We're still taking the stuff in bags down to our local post office and doing it manually because we, we, we had spikes, but never big enough spikes that we had to worry about. And, um, and suddenly we were taking car loads to our local post office because there was no time to, to actually arrange a contract with a, with a mail company. And, um, and then we also had to try and restock and so it was at that moment I started to realize that actually, wow, if we had stayed with a supplier back in June, we would actually have been bankrupt. Oh, wow. Because we would have had to wait to get more stock for another month to two months. But oh. I was able to make a call, get people quickly into place, and we had another thousand bags back online on the Wednesday. And we then sold out of them in 10 hours. And then we were able to do it again until a place where we're, we've got um, good, healthy stocks now. Wow, Dave. I, and and I, that's got to feel both, you know, uh, terrifying in a way, because it's like, I mean, you know, you're just jumping into gear and adrenaline is running, but also so exhilarating because you realize every time the, you know, the phone dings and another sale is made, there that's another bag that's going to someone in the foster care system who now doesn't have to walk around with the trash bags. Oh, I mean, what a rewarding and crazy feeling Absolutely. all at the same time. Absolutely. And what I think what has really grown from, from this has been that in the last three, three years, so it starts with a bin bag, and we know that practically we're giving a bag to these kids. But what we have experienced and what we had the feedback we got from this Farrell is that the amount of um, adults and young adults who were care experienced, who had come through a foster care system, and, and they were coming saying, we've bought our bag, we love, I was that child with the bin bags. So it was, it was like they, they were getting on board a movement to make it better for the kids coming behind them. And so we give them a tool and a fecal. And so that going viral introduced us to a whole new customer base of actually young adults who were care experienced. And, oh, um, and so that, that has resulted in, and we started to see this actually in the three to four years that we've been going, is that it's, 
as a youth worker, I spend a lot of my time going and talking to young people in the care system. And we use the brand to say you have huge value, the fact that you breathe, you're not defined by your past, who you're from, where you're from, all that stuff. The fact that you breathe, you have huge value and worth. And we, I would do that. And Madlog believes in you and Madlog is for you. And so we, we were doing that. So the more that we became more recognized as a brand that was telling this story of kids in care are incredible the more we're starting to find that actually it's less about the giving of a bag, even though that for us is mega important. Right. It's actually about we're creating an army. We're empowering society outside of those in the system, those who are paid social workers or foster carers to say, you are incredible. And, and actually in a place where they feel lost in a care system, we can actually create an army of non-verbal communicators of care to these incredible children right across the world in every city right across the world and so that's become the vision of madlog is that it's yes it's giving a bag to a child in care but because right. the bag says you're incredible but even greater because the story is getting out the children in care even who haven't received bags now i see the madlog is the business that's for them oh my gosh that's that is overwhelming. So that, that is that's what makes us a little bit different than the Toms and the standard one for one, in that we are specifically not preciously holding on to a one for one business model and then trying to find the next problem to solve with a one for one business model. Right. We are a hundred percent and we will always be a hundred percent that we only exist for the value, worth and dignity of children in care. And we are currently using a bag model so that we can give a bag practically to show that, but we're also empowering a brand to be a communicator of care. A few very practical questions. Um, first, a lot of the people listening to this show, uh, we have friends in the UK that listen and all around the world. Where is Madlug available? At the minute, we are purely uh, an online business. And okay. part of that is, is as a small business, trying to get margins right and distribution right. and. Um, to, totally. to take it into shops and, and and places like that. So we're an online business. We're based in the UK. So unfortunately, there's a little bit of shipping involved outside of the UK. Um, but that's where madlug.com. Okay. Um, Great. And so we can get them in, we can order them in the US. Yes. And, and, the, and the dream, Eddie, is this, that yeah. we get to be a company that actually as we, where we sell it. So my dream is that we go out beyond the UK but it's not all helping UK kids in care is my dream is that we create Madlog to be a global brand that impacts the kids in the areas of, of where the bags are being bought because as people are wearing them, the kids in that area need to know about Madlog and experience the compassion and care of Madlog yeah. that they feel cared for. So that's where we want to go. That's where we're, that's what our dream is to, to be. Yeah. I mean, Mad Lug US is just waiting to happen. I'm glad we can buy the bags now, but it really would be a phenomenal thing to see a brand like this, you know, I, no, not like this, but to see Mad Lug in, uh, in the States because the need is just so great. So maybe someone listening is the next, <laughs> is your next partner. Um, for those who are listening, and, and I know that there are a lot of folks that are probably maybe in in college and have the next great idea and their heart is racing because they've seen a problem they figured out a unique solution just like you did one that seems just all too it's just too good to be true but it actually works um 
what what would you offer them entrepreneurially as a, a a first step, something to consider, a place to move from here with their own great idea? The the key I think is keep it simple. So the temptation in Madlog is to 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 get complicated, but we just go bag for bag. So keep it really simple. Yeah. The 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 other thing is um, do it. Don't let someday rob you because I think back in my life someday robbed a lot of my dreams and, and opportunities when I was in my 20s. So mm-hmm. I was like, maybe when I'm rich, maybe when I have more time, maybe when I'm in a different place, I can do something to fix that. Um, but there's a reality is if it's important to you, just do it. I, I think there's a quote in in the, the Blake, um, founder Tom's um, yeah. book, Starts on the Matter, that talks about someday robbing. And if it's important, just do it. So I would say just do it. Um, and, and, and also is, and this is, this is the thing I'm really passionate about is find the black bin bag story in the story. So oh. I could have gone in and, and sorted the, the care and just being the care system, or I could deal with homelessness, or I could deal with human trafficking, or I could deal with, but actually I think the thing that makes people stand out and will give your business and your, your movement legs is, is the thing that seems small is big enough. So find find the black bin bag story within the story. And so if you've got an idea, walk, think about it, journal it, and find that black bin bag story, the thing that gets you right to the heart. Because I already was in the story of care, and I'm wanting to make a difference there. But actually, it's getting to that black bin bag story that actually, what am I going to fix that one thing? And... Um, and I would say that. And lastly, I would say, always prevent yourself from becoming the hero of the story. And if you want to get stuff around that, get the Donald Miller building a story brand book, because that is so, so helpful in, in helping us tell our story to impact the world. I mean, come on. How great is Dave and Madlug and the story? I, I mean, when, when I heard that these children in foster care go from place to place and have to carry all of their possessions in a plastic bag, and that he came up with this idea of preserving their dignity simply by giving them a bag. It's just one of those ideas that is like, oh, of course. And I think for a lot of us, we may have an idea that is just sitting and waiting. And like Dave said, Don't just sit through your 20s waiting to start. Get started. And also, let's buy Madlug bags. We should do that, right? Madlug.com. They're so cool and clearly they matter. And if you buy a Madlug bag, share a picture of your bag with me on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Both of them are new activist is. We don't have an endorsement deal. We're not making any money off this. I would just love to know that a kid is going to have a bag when they're transitioning in the foster care system because you bought a backpack. That would be a really exciting next step. You can also get a hold of Dave and the whole Madlug team. Again, their website is madlug.com. A huge thanks to the brilliance who scored today's episode. Their tour dates, music, merch, etc., can be found at thebrilliancemusic.com. They're heading out on tour, I think, in February with Gunger and Propaganda. So that should be really, really fun. All new activist guests. We'll hear more from the brilliance later in this season. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Dave Linton, Madlug, and my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. 
take care, friends.